Good morning. Everybody do what I ask you to do every single Sunday and that smile real big. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to Acts chapter number 2. The book of Acts chapter number 2. I recently preached from this chapter, but it was a different section of the chapter. Acts chapter number 2, verse number 1. When you find that, please stand to honor the reading of God's Word. If you're in Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, say amen, please. The Bible says this, and it says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when it was, this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. It says Parthians and Medes, Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and all and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Notice the next verse. And it says, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For, those, for these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Verse 16, it says this, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for all your many blessings. God, we thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning. God, I just pray that you would bless each one that's here. God, I pray that you would bless them for their effort of being here. God, as always, I come to you with a humble heart. Lord, knowing that I can do absolutely nothing except through you this morning. God, I just pray that you would do the preaching, let the Holy Spirit do his work this morning. God, I praise you, Lord. I thank you for allowing me to stand here and just to proclaim your word for a little while. God, I pray that if there's anybody lost in the house this morning, God, that you would deal with them. Lord, that you would let them see the need to be saved before it is too late. God, I just pray that you would bless each person here, bless each saved person. God, help them to grow closer to you, God. Give me clarity of mind and clarity of speech this morning. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
Acts chapter 2, the first few verses can be something that a free will Baptist preacher gets scared of sometimes. Uh, if we're not careful, as, as the free will Baptist denomination, we will kind of relegate this scripture and kind of just give it to, to other denominations and say, well, they really live this out and they really fulfill what it says. Because in Acts chapter 2, we see something that, that, that is a little different from what we're used to. See, we, we see in the day of, on the day of Pentecost, this was 40 days after that Jesus has rose from the dead, and, and they're sitting in the upper room and it says that they're all in one mind and one accord. Now before I go any further, I want to tell you this and I want you to understand that for any of the, the rest of this to take place, they had to be in one mind and one accord. If we want to see a church do anything, if we want to see an outpouring of God like they had in Acts chapter 2, we have to be in one mind and one accord before we can do anything. Because if there's any division in the body, if there's anything that shouldn't be there, if there's anything between us whatsoever, then the Holy Spirit cannot move as he needs to. So they're sitting there, they're in one mind and one accord. Now in my mind's eyes, I like to imagine things out and just place scriptures out in my mind. I'm th sitting there thinking maybe, maybe they're singing some songs. Maybe they're talking about the things that they've seen. These, these people that were gathered in the upper room, these were Jesus' disciples. These were the men that when Jesus was teaching in his earthly ministry for that three years, these guys were with him every single day. And they had seen the blind eyes open. They had seen the lame walk and they had seen the dumb talk and, and, and the deaf could hear. And they had seen all these wonderful things. But then in Acts chapter 1... They had seen Jesus ascend back up into heaven. Now that's kind of troubling to them. I'm sure that they saw Jesus ascend. And he says, you just go. And he says, you wait in Jerusalem. So sure enough, they go back and they're sitting in this room. And they're waiting. And finally, they get in one mind and one accord. And it says, when it was fully come, it says, and they were in mind, one mind and one accord. It says, and suddenly they, there came as a sound from heaven, as a rushing mighty wind, and he filled the house where they were sitting. And you notice in verse number 4, and it says, And they were all, what's the next word? Somebody say it. Filled. Now that's an important update in Scripture. I want you to understand, up until this point in the Bible, up until we get to Acts chapter number 2, no regular just old person, no, no old Joe, no, no person in the Bible had ever been filled with the Holy Spirit. See, there's, there's a turning point right here. The page is being turned and the church is being started in Acts chapter number 2. And in order for God's work to be accomplished as God needed it to be accomplished, there had to be something that would indwell each and every one of us, and that is the Holy Spirit. Now, we can, if we're not careful, we get scared of, of the Holy Spirit. We get scared of, of when, when somebody says the Holy Ghost was here or the Holy Spirit was here. And I think the, what the problem with that is and, and where the problem lies is that we have this terrible preconceived notion of what the Holy Spirit does and who the Holy Spirit is. Before I go any further, I also want to tell you this, that the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a he. The Holy Spirit is a person just as much as Jesus Christ is a person. He's, he's mu as much of a person as God the Father is a person. He's, can you say amen? Are you with me? I want you to understand this because if you read that and you read on to it, 
It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. The word holy there, it says the Holy Ghost. The reason that says the in front of that is it is is showing us, it is describing the character of the Spirit, of God's Spirit to us. And that, that Spirit is what? He is holy. He is a holy Spirit. God's Spirit can be nothing else but holy. And so when we think of the word Holy Ghost or, or Holy Spirit, we, we, we kind of dream up times of the past if we're not careful. We think about times of when, when my parents were young and when my grandparents were young and, and hear about these camp meetings and these tent meetings and all these great revival services and we say, wow, the Holy Spirit moved back then, didn't he? The Holy Ghost moved back then and no doubt he did, but he's not changed. God's never changed. You want to find proof of that? Go to Malachi chapter 3, verse number 6. I am the Lord, I change not. That applies to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Unchanging. And so every, ever since the day of Pentecost, ever since Acts chapter 2 and verse number 4, and it says when they were all filled with the Holy Ghost... Something changed there, and every believer in Jesus Christ, everyone that has called upon the name of the Lord and is saved, is now, get this, filled with the Holy Ghost. How does that make you feel to know that God is living in you? That ought to excite you, but it ought to kind of strike a little bit of fear into your heart, shouldn't it? To know that the Bible says that it's the Holy Ghost that is living inside of you. See, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to say, it's not, it's not someone that just shows up when the music's just right or when the, when the preaching's good or, or when, when certain things. It's not a formula that we have to get right and add all these things in and do all this. It's not that he just, all of a sudden, God sends him down from heaven and, and he sets upon us. I want you to understand that he's in each one of us. He's in every one of us. If you're born again... If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He was born, lived a sinless life and, and, and died on a cross and rose again, if you believe that, then when you got saved, God gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And He didn't just give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to put in your back pocket and take Him out when you get home and set Him on the dresser. He put Him in your heart. That word right there, filled, is so important. That, that word filled, you know what it means? It indicates that we actually, we couldn't take any more of the Holy Spirit than we have right now. Because what? We're filled. What's it mean when you set a glass down and you fill it up to the top? It's filled, right? Can you put any more in it? No, you cannot. We get every bit of the Holy Spirit we need when God saves us. But we often think, we often just, just kind of put the Holy Spirit on, on notice and say, well, when we get to church, then you can come out and you can, you can do things and you can, you can act among us and, and maybe, maybe somebody will raise their hand, maybe somebody will shout. But really, that's not the job of the Holy Spirit at all. I like it when the Holy Spirit shows up. I've been in those services, you know, when, when people are up shouting and running the aisles and climbing the pews and that's okay, but sometimes that's not real. Did you know that? Oh, be careful, preacher, what you say, right? I'm just telling you the truth. Sometimes the Holy Spirit moves and there's no shouting at all. 
Sometimes there's no hand raising. Sometimes there's just a sweet spirit in the house. And he just moves upon a few people. I like it. I'll tell you what I like to see is, I like to see when, when we're in a service together and the Holy Spirit moved upon somebody and they're just sitting there weeping. I like to see people cry, don't you? I, I just as soon see them cry as I would to see them shout. And I know that's a little strange, but I would. But let me tell you, it's not about how the Holy Spirit makes you feel. No doubt he can well up inside of you sometimes and you can't contain it. I, I heard somebody say one time that, that, that if you want to really find out what's inside of a Christian, just shake them up and it'll spew out, right? Just like a Coke. And if the Holy Spirit is in that person and they get all shook up in a church service, guess what's going to come out? Well, maybe the Holy Spirit will. But there's a flip side of that which I won't get into today. But it's not just all about shouting. It's not just all about running the aisles. That's good. But the Holy Spirit has a far bigger work than any of that. He was given to us by Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said in John chapter 14, turn your Bibles to John chapter 14 with me. I'll have you turn to just a few places. John chapter 14 is a very familiar scripture. John chapter 14, Jesus is preparing his disciples for what they are experiencing in Acts chapter 2. You go back to John chapter 14, and Jesus tells them in the first few verses, he said, he said I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says, and if I go away and prepare a place for you, he says, then I'll come again and receive you unto myself that there you may be also. Now that's exciting news for us, isn't it? For Christians, for Christians everywhere, for saved people, it means, hey, we've got hope beyond this life. That Jesus went away and even today he's preparing a place for us. But what's even better is he said that when he gets done preparing that place, he's going to come back and he's going to receive us unto himself. That's wonderful for us. But for the disciples who weren't fully aware of what the situation was, they were kind of confounded. In fact, they were a little bit confused. And I'm sure that they were sad at that time. When Jesus says, I'm going away, they thought, now wait a minute. We've, we've, been in this, we've been in this with you for three years. We followed you. We, give, we gave up our jobs. We left our families. We sacrificed everything. And you're going away? You're going away? And so Jesus says in Acts chapter 14, in verse number 16, let's read 16 through 18. Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you, I like this, Another comforter. Do you see that? Another comforter. Who does that mean the original comforter is? Jesus himself, right? Another comforter. And he says that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him. I like this. But ye know him. What's the next few words? For he dwelleth. He dwelleth with you. And then it goes on. He doesn't just stop there. Jesus goes on to say, and shall be in you. And then verse 18, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. He says, I will come to you. Jesus tells the disciples, he says, I'm going to send you another comforter. What he's meant by that is he said, for the last three years, I've been your comforter. 
Jesus says, I've been with you for the last three years, and when you had questions, I was able to answer them. When you had troubles, I was able to, to allow you to lay your head on my shoulder, and I comforted you. He said, but now I'm going to send you another comforter. So the first work of the Holy Spirit that I would like to bring out of the Scripture today that we see is that simply the Holy Spirit is in fact the comforter now. Any, any time that we have any problem, any time that, that we need to go to God, we have a comforter that, that is there with us. See what a comfort that is, that not only is He just with us and He dwells in us, uh, with us, but He dwells inside of us all the time. And there's not a situation that we will ever face in life that God will not be right there with us. And not just outside of us, but God will be in us. The first work of the Holy Spirit is He is the Comforter. I've seen a few hard things in my life. I've seen things in my life that I didn't understand. I've been places I didn't want to be. And sometimes it's discouraging. Sometimes things happen that we just, we just don't enjoy, right? I mean, let's be real here. I, I'm a realist most of the time, and, and, and I'm not one of these guys that acts like everything's perfect all the time for a Christian. Well, if that were true, well, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. If everything was great every day and everything was grand every day, there wouldn't be no comforter needed. But Jesus said, I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to give you another comforter. Why? Because in this world, you will face heartache. In this world, you will face trials. In this world, you will face death and destruction and all these things that we don't like to face. But he said, I'm right there with you. In fact, in Hebrews, he said, I'm with you even until the end of the world. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, I'm here and he said, I'll send one on my behalf to dwell in you, to be in you, that will comfort you all the time. See, that's, that's the mark that separates a Christian from anybody else. I've seen it so many times, and I've experienced it in my own life, that, that chaos will be going on all around me. Because we live in a world of chaos if you don't believe that, just go live in the house with a four-year-old. Amen? <laughs> Chaos everywhere. But we'll have things to happen. Things that, that would have most people on their face just begging God to make it stop. And a Christian has that peace in them. A Christian still has that joy in them. A Christian still has a little bit of pep in their step. Maybe they have a smile on their face. Why? Because the comforter is there. The Comforter gives us hope. The Comforter says, hey, remember what Jesus said? I'm going away to prepare a place for you. We have a Comforter. But not only do we have a Comforter, let's read on down into verse number 26. Let's just skip down to verse 26. So let's read starting verse 25. Jesus says, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. He says, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Let's read verse 27. It says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
Not only do we have a comforter, but I want you to also understand that the Holy Spirit is a counselor. See, every single day, I need counsel. I need counsel to know what I need to do that day. I need counsel to know what I need to do that day, but yet what I need to do next month and next year and and the rest of my life. And how do I know these things? Verse 26 says that the Holy Spirit will do what? He'll teach you, right? Does it say that or am I just making that up? He says he shall teach you all things. He'll, and it says also, he says, And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. See, the wonderful thing about when the Holy Spirit is comforting you, that he'll also use his counsel to comfort you. I like to read the Bible, don't you? I really do. I like to read the Bible, and I've read the Bible through several times, and, and the New Testament through more times than that, and there are certain places I like to read. But believe it or not, with my little feeble mind, I forget stuff, do you? I forget stuff. But have you ever been in a situation, this is just wonderful to me, when, when things are going bad or, or you're talking to somebody or whatever the situation is, and that verse just pops in your head, and you know what it is, and you know where it's found, and you know what to say, and you know how to apply it to your life. How does that happen? How does that happen? Through the counsel of the Holy Spirit. He says, he says, I'll bring all things to remembrance that I have taught you. There's things that Brother Albert has learned in his life that, that he's forgotten. But I tell you what, when he needs them, the Holy Spirit can recall them to his mind instantly and teach him and, and show him how to apply them to the situation that he is in. I need somebody smarter than me to counsel me, don't you? Amen. <laughs> I need somebody smarter than me on my side. You need somebody smarter than you. And and men, most of you men will say, well, that's why I got my wife, right? My wife is smarter than me, but she's not the counsel I always need. I need the Holy Ghost to speak to me. I need God to speak to me. And he does that through the power of his Holy Spirit. What an awesome thing it is to know that, that we have God living in us. And not only does he live in us, but he'll speak to us while he's in there. He'll, he'll tell us the direction we need to go. He'll give us instruction if we'll just listen to him. If we will accept his counsel. We have a comforter. We have a counselor. But next, I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We also have a communicator, Amen. book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, he's going to give us a little bit of a different take on the Holy Spirit. In verse number 26 of Romans chapter 8, the Bible says this, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Did you see what he says? He says that he maketh intercession for the saints 
according to the will of God. Intercession is saying that he goes to God on our behalf. Now what a wonderful privilege. I just want to take a time out and just say what a wonderful privilege it is for a Christian to know that we can go to the throne room of heaven. You ought to just stop right there and say, Amen. What a privilege to know that that God hears what we say. We have a living God. He is alive and sitting on the throne forevermore. And we have the privilege to take him just our smallest little concerns. Or, or take to him our thanksgiving and say, Lord, I just, I just want to stop and praise you for just a minute. And that's awesome when we can do that. It's awesome when we can, we can get down on our knees and we can, we can just, a prayer just basically just falls out of our mouth. And we know what to say. But see, there's other times when we don't know what to say. There's times in our life when we just, we just don't know what needs to be said. You know, there's, there's times, and I've experienced him, them here recently, where I'll get down on my knees and I'll, I'll humble myself before God. And I know that I need to be there. I feel it in my heart. Hey, the, the Spirit is bidding me, just get down, just humble yourself. And then I get down there and I think, well, now what am I supposed to do? You ever been in that situation? Where you know that you need to commune with God. Where you know that God is trying to to tell you something. or, Or God wants you to tell him something. Or whatever the situation may be. But you just don't know how. What a wonderful thing it is to know that the Spirit will actually do that for us. That the Holy Spirit, he will search our hearts. He knows our mind. He knows what's going on in us. He can search our hearts because he lives there. And he knows what's going on in us. He knows the situations in our life or what's going on or what we need to say, what needs to happen. And he says that he makes intercession for us with what? Groanings that cannot be uttered. You don't know what he's saying. You don't know why he's saying it. But you know he's doing it. And it's on your behalf. We have a communicator. The Holy Spirit goes on our behalf to the throne room of heaven and he's able to pour out your heart even though you can't do it. Even though you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit will take your petitions to God for you. I'm glad he does that, aren't you? I'm glad that sometimes when there are no words, sometimes nothing can be said because they wouldn't do any good. Our words are just just little Little feeble things anyways. It's not about what you say. It's about where your heart is, right? I hammer that, don't I? Where's your heart? Well, the Holy Spirit, he'll take your heart and he'll pour it out. We have a communicator. We have a counselor and we have a comforter. But then everybody loves this part about the Holy Spirit, loves this work of the Holy Spirit. We also have a chastiser, don't we? We have a chastiser. I don't know about you, but, but when I was a kid, and, and I'll just throw this out there, and y'all can, y'all can scold my dad for it tonight, I got whoopings. I didn't get whippings. I got a whooping. Anybody know what a whooping is? There's a difference between a whipping and a whooping, isn't there? <laughs> Sometimes, I, I know this is really hard for you to believe, but I was not a perfect child. 
I know that's impossible to think, man, this guy, he just, he's had to have it together all of his life. Actually, from what my dad says, I was not a very good kid. I don't know why, <laughs> but, but my dad, he'll look at my little girl. She'll run by, and she'll be doing whatever she's doing. She'll, he'll just look at me, he'll smile, and he says, you're paying for your raising, boy. <laughs> but I, I used to get in trouble, and, and I didn't understand it, and it didn't make sense. But my parents always had a good reason to whip me or whoop me. I'll say whip. I'll be proper, okay? Spank, paddle, whatever you want to call it. Normally it was with a belt, but anyways. But they always had a good reason for it. I didn't understand that. When I was a kid, when I was a, a little guy, and, and they told me, you know, go in the bedroom and, and you're going to get in, you're in trouble, I didn't get it. I just thought, man, I've got the meanest parents in the world. Do other kids get this? If they didn't, they probably needed it, right? That'd solve a lot of our world's problems. Say amen right there. <laughs> but I want you to understand that as Christians, guess what we are? We're God's children. And believe it or not, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. We're going to do things that are just flat out stupid sometimes. We're going to get out of the will of God. We're going to veer from where he wants us to go. We're going to commit sin. We're going to do things that is not pleasing to God. Hebrews addresses that. Hebrews chapter 12 verse number 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Wherefore we have had fathers of our flesh. Now get this, I like this line, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live it says, for verily, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure. See, sometimes they just whooped us because they liked it, right? No. That's what it seems like, though, sometimes. And I, don't, I don't punish my kids just because I want to. God always has a good reason. And it says, but he, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. We just got explained to us why chastening is good for us. I don't like it when I mess up and God immediately lets me know, but I'm glad he does. You know why? Because that means that I'm a child of God. That means that, that I know for a fact that I'm saved and that the Holy Spirit lives in me. What a, what a wonderful thing it is for God just to stop and say, Hey, you should not have done that. God will get a hold of you. And sometimes He needs to get a hold of you. It's not enjoyable. It says that it's grievous. It says that, that we don't enjoy it and we shouldn't enjoy it. But he said it's for our profit. Why? So we can be partakers of his holiness. You know why my parents were, were doing that to me? To try to make me a better human being. To try to make me a better citizen so that I could live and be a better person. 
And God's doing the exact same thing. He is trying to drive that sin out of your life. He's trying to get rid of those things that don't need to be in your life. And sometimes he has to do it painfully. You know, some kids, they listen, don't they? Not many, I don't see, but a few do. I've seen some kids that when their parents just look at them the right way, that they'll go in the corner and cry. Have you ever seen kids like that? I don't have any of those. But, you know, some, some kids are hard-headed. They're stubborn. They don't listen. And you have to literally drive it out of them. And as Christians, sometimes God just has to literally just drive it out of us. He has to chasten us, and he does it through the Holy Spirit that lives in our heart. But it's for our benefit. You have to understand that. God is doing this for you. God's not just punishing you just to say, hey, I want to make Cecil squirm today just because I can. No, God says that the reason I'm going to make Cecil squirm is there's something in his life that does not need to be there. Or he says, hey, George said a crossword to Holly yesterday, and I'm going to drive that from him. And it's for his own benefit. It's so that we can be partakers of the fruit of his righteousness. See, God expects us and wants us to live a holy life. God expects us to be a clean vessel for us to have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Why? Because it's in his name, Holy Spirit. Where does he need to indwell? In a holy place, right? He says that we can be partakers of his holiness. So that we can live that right life. The Holy Spirit, he was given to us to do a work in our life far beyond just saying amen or jumping up and down or hallelujah or whatever. He's, he's far beyond that. He does so much in the life of the believer and we just ignore it sometimes. We just look over it in those times that we're down and out and God comforts us and we don't even know it. Guess who was there? The Holy Spirit doing his work in your life. And all these things and all these times in our life when we need God and he shows up on the scene and he manifests himself, he will do it through his Holy Spirit. That's what he does in the life of the believer. But if you remember, we read in John chapter 14, and I'll go back and read it. John chapter 14, I'll turn back. It says this. It says that the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit, correct? It says, even the Spirit of truth in verse number 17, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. The world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. See, the Holy Spirit can only do one thing in the life of an unbeliever. Did you know that? He can do many things for a Christian. He can do all these things and far more. I could, not, I could not stand here all day and tell you all the things the Holy Spirit does in your life. But I can tell you in, in one word what he'll do for a lost person. And that is convict them. The only work that the Holy Spirit can do in the life of a lost person is he can deal with their heart. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and I'm almost done I promise. 
Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, I just read this verse a few weeks ago. Verse number 37, after the apostles had got done preaching, and they had, they had been, these men were absolutely astounded at what they heard. Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the apostles, and the disciples, they preached Jesus, and they said that Jesus was crucified, and then they pointed their finger at the Jews, and they said, you crucified him. And then in verse number 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, What shall we do? The Holy Spirit showed up on the scene that day. And the word of God was preached. And, and it was firsthand information and they preached Jesus because they knew Jesus. And it got a hold of those men. See, the Holy Spirit was moving upon the apostles. But all the while that he was moving, on the apostles and on the disciples, see, he crept out into the crowd. He went out into the, into the, the midst of those Jews. And they heard the truth. They heard the word of God, and guess what? It did something inside of them. The Holy Spirit, he's always, always, always going to deal with your heart. That's where he operates, is in our heart. He operates in our inner being, inside of us. He lives in our heart. But what did it say that in, in Acts chapter 2, verse number 37? It said he pricked their what? Their heart. It said that he went in there and he got a hold of their heart and he dealt with them. He could do nothing else. He could not indwell them. He could not, he could not counsel them. He could not comfort them. Do anything else. But one thing he could do is when he passed by, he could convict them. He could say, hey, look what you did to Jesus. You crucified Jesus. You put him on the cross. Your sin is what hung him there. And it said they were pricked in their heart and they asked a question. They said, what must we do? See, before you can do anything, and before you can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit has to come by and he has to deal with you as an individual. It can't be just some big movement across the church. The Holy Spirit has to come individually to you and he has to, to deal with your heart on an individual basis and convict you of your sins and say, hey, if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to die and go to hell. And it so dealt with their heart that, they, I don't know, maybe they stopped the apostles preaching and they said, hey, wait a minute, you said something that dealt with me, now what do I do about it? And what did Peter tell them? He says, you repent. You turn from your sin. The, the, the word repent in the very next verse literally means to, to make a 180. To, if you're going towards, in this direction towards hell, you're to turn around and to repent. is to go away from where you were going and go towards another place. And the Holy Spirit, he will tell you that as a lost person. Now, no doubt, if you're sitting here this morning, you probably know that if you're lost... It doesn't take me to stand up here and, and, and give you a quiz and, and you answer the right questions and add up and say, well, yeah, I'm lost. According to the paper, I'm lost. No, you'll know you're lost or you'll know you're saved because of the work of the Holy Spirit. He'll tell the saved person he sa that they're saved and he'll tell the lost person they're lost. 
That's his job. He has a work to do, and he's still doing it today. His power has not diminished one bit from Acts chapter number 2. These Jewish men that some of them believed, in fact, I believe it was 3,000 people that got saved that day. There were 3,000 pricks of the heart that day. The Holy Spirit all at once dealt with 3,000 people, and maybe he dealt with you this morning. Maybe it was through understanding that the Christians have benefits beyond anything you can think of because the Holy Spirit lives in their life. But we must come to grips with the fact that he's going to deal with us one way or another. He's going to deal with Christians. He's going to deal with lost people. And when he deals with you, I pray, my prayer this morning will be that you accept whatever the Holy Spirit tells you. If the Holy Spirit's comforting you this, this morning, that's awesome. If he's, if, he's, if he's chastising you or correcting you this morning, please take it and learn from it and accept it so that you can become more holy, so you can be more like Jesus. But if you're lost and he's convicting your heart, I, I beg you this morning to do something about it. He's going to come by and he'll deal with you and he'll give you an opportunity. But see, the thing about it is, is he doesn't take up residence. He doesn't move in. So guess what he can do? If he doesn't move in, he can move on. There's your good quote, right? If he's, not, if he's not dwelling in you, then he can just deal with you for just a minute, just for a, a, just a couple of minutes and give you just a little window of opportunity. And then he can shut that door. Because he's done his work. Sister Connie, come to the piano, please. Brother Cecil, get us a song. Everybody stand this morning. I know this has kind of been sort of a different message. But I want you to understand it has to be preached. The Holy Spirit is in each one of us. There's probably more saved people here than lost. And he's in each Christian here. But yet he can deal with the lost people. And if he's dealing with you this morning, I pray that you would come to the altar. Cecil's going to sing right after we pray. And then if you feel God calling you, come to this altar and we can tell you how to be saved. Let's pray. Father, God, I love you. Lord, I thank you for your wonderful word. God, I thank you for the counsel that we can take from your word that tells us that you dwell in us. And God, I praise you for that this morning, that you didn't leave me to live life alone. God, I just pray that, that if any Christian here this morning needs prayer, Lord, that they would take this opportunity to pray. Maybe they don't know what to pray, God, but, but you said the Holy Spirit would take care of that for them. God, thank you for that. And no doubt, God, there's somebody lost here this morning. I just pray that you would deal with their heart, God, that you would convict them with a conviction like they've never felt before. And that, God, they would come in faith knowing that the only way that they can make heaven their home is through the acceptation of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would see somebody saved this morning. It's not your will that any should perish, but that, God, all should come to repentance. But that repentance comes because the Holy Spirit deals with people. He convicts people. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.